0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. I'd like you to uh, I'd like to introduce to you again those of you that were with us here last year. Uh, we had this uh, gentleman join us on stage, introduced him to our church and our church to uh, Jasper. And today I'm very pleased to be able to have the opportunity to have Jasper Rutherford back with us. He is the European Director for Christ and Youth, recently uh, joined the CIY team as we're expanding into Europe. And he has great connections. He's from Belfast, Ireland. You might notice that when he talks. And uh, he has great connections, been doing youth work for a large uh, period of his professional life in ministry, uh, been working with a group called Summer Madness, doing uh, events for uh, students in Ireland and uh, uniting them around Jesus. Those of you here last year, you know how blessed we were to have him here. Uh, in fact, we were talking about it. He preached week 30 in our series, and he'll tell you what week he's on uh, this time, but uh, We're so grateful for his heart, for his ministry, and the opportunity to work with people that are changing the world all around us. Would you help me welcome this morning Jasper Rutherford? Thank you.
1: Good morning, church. It is so good to be here. Um, The last time I was here, it was week 30, and it was flooding. Uh, There was floods everywhere, so it felt like Ireland. And today I woke up and it was raining. It still felt like Ireland. Uh, I I hope you can understand my accent. You must off the last time because Mark invited me back. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Um, I I love this little place, Joplin. I've been here a number of times, and it's, it's pretty special to me now, mostly because of the people who I know here now, and that's always the way, isn't it? Um, so it's, it's, it's so good to be in CCO again and be with you this morning. Um, yeah, we're on week 70. Um, I was week 30, so last year you were digging into the Gospels, and you're still digging into them, and I love that. So we're in week 70, and there's so much more to glean, so much more to experience, and it's not just for knowledge, it's actually so that Jesus captures our heart, right? And that's what we, we hope and pray today, that Jesus captures our heart. Um, so we're working through Matthew 16 is, is the passage we're on today. It's the great confession of Peter. If you want to turn to your Bible, Matthew 16, we're going to dig into that in a minute. It's starting at verse 13. Uh, we'll be reading from there. Uh, but it's, the, it's, it's really a, another story of Peter and Jesus interacting together. Uh, and I love Uh, Peter in the Bible. If anybody um, in Scripture, uh, it's Peter who seems to inhabit the essence of who we are the most whenever I read about Peter and I see Peter interact with Jesus, I say, yep, that's me. I I, I have those all in moments for Jesus where it's like, you know, we can conquer the world together, me and Jesus, we can do anything and I'm gonna have a go and I don't mind if I fail, let's go Jesus. But I also have those epic fail moments where I put my foot in my mouth, where I say things I regret, where, you know, I think I'm a rock for God one time and then if a little girl asks me about Jesus, I quiver in my shoes. We've had those experiences that Peter has had with Jesus. And when we read it, we say, even if you're, uh, it's male or female, we, we look at Peter and we think, Do you know, that, that's like my journey with Jesus too. And um, the story we're, we're gonna come on to is, is, is a story two and a half years after Peter first meets with Jesus, and if we if we go back to that first encounter of Peter and Jesus, so uh, Jesus is teaching on the beach to the crowd, and the crowd are pressing in on him, and he has no room to speak to everyone, because everyone's crowding around him, they want a piece of him, and he sees a boat on the shore, and it's, it's Simon's boat, and he says to Simon, look, can you row me out? into the water a little bit so I can teach the crowd without them pressing in. I mean, that's the first encounter that Peter has of Jesus. And after Jesus finishes talking, Jesus says to, to Simon, can, can you row out into deeper water? And you know the story, you've studied the story, they row, row out to deeper water, and, and then Jesus says, cast out your nets, and Peter has fished all night, and he hasn't even caught a tiddlywink. Okay, it sounds funny in an Irish accent, tiddlywink, doesn't it? Uh, so he hasn't, he hasn't caught anything. He hasn't caught a single fish, and he half-heartedly, you know, gritting his teeth, just being polite to the rabbi who is in his boat somehow this morning, and he casts out the net, and then this wonderful miracle, supernatural catch of fish happens where he, he has to shout over to his mates, his friends that is, he has to shout over to his friends, come and help, the boat is sinking, there's so much fish here, John come and help me and his partners come over and help him and they load up the fish and then we have that, that picture as Peter just falls on his knees, in my mind he's flat out in his face amongst all the smelly fish and he says to Jesus, get away from me Lord get away from I am a sinful man. And then Peter goes on this wonderful journey where he becomes like Jesus' best friend. He knows Jesus intimately. He has all these encounters and experiences and witnesses all these miracles and watches them, but also joins in with them. You know, uh, we have Jesus calming the storm for a fisherman. It's like, What is going on here? We have um, the bleeding woman healing her, raising of Jairus' daughter, feeding the 5,000. Peter's joining in, giving out the fish and the loaves, the feeding of the 4,000. We have Jesus walking on water again for a fisherman. Peter has a go. We have all these experiences of Peter with Jesus. And then we have this moment. Two and a half years later, the great confession. Let's read it together. Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah the son of the living God, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explained to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The evolution of Peter, we see him moving from that first encounter with Jesus where it's like, get away from me, Lord, I don't want you to be the one, to this moment where he has joined up the dots and he's saying, you are the one, to actually a few sentences later where Peter is saying, Jesus, you're my one, and we know what happens another few chapters down the line, Jesus, who? I don't even know that one. So we have this journey of Peter's life and his encounters with Jesus, and we recognize ourselves in it. As Christians, uh, we have this uh, incredible everyday miracle that happens where we get to recognize Christ in each other. To confess Jesus as the Messiah or the, or the Christ that is in some of your uh, Bibles that you're reading, it's the Messiah or Christ. It means that we proclaim, that we believe he is the anointed one of whom the Old Testament prophets have prophesied. The anointed one, the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. The word Christ is the Greek rendition of the, of the Hebrew word Messiah. Peter is saying he believed Jesus was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, the Psalms' prophecies, Micah's prophecies, all the prophecies. Jesus was and is the long awaited Messiah, the promised one, the true son of God, the one appointed by God to assume the royal and priestly office of the promised Messiah. So he was confessing, you are the one, the one that everything has been written about, the one that we've been waiting on for a hundred, it is you, Jesus It really is you. I love that um, uh, we have this view of Jesus being our own, but I, I took a group of young people from Belfast to Nepal a a few years ago, and um, we went to Nepal. If you've ever been to Nepal or India, you know the greeting that they have there. They say namaste to each other. This is how they greet each other, namaste. It's not just a hello, how are you? Uh, In Ireland, we say, what's the crack? I know it sounds uh, bad, but it just means like, what's happening, how are you? Namaste is not that. Namaste isn't just hello, how are you doing? Namaste is a much richer meaning. What namaste literally actually means is, "I I honor the God I see in you. I honor the God that you serve. That's what namaste means. And in the Hindu kingdom, in the Hindu world, uh, there is hundreds and hundreds of different gods. And depending on what day it is and what time of day and and which God with a small g you're worshiping, uh, if you greet somebody, you're saying, I recognize, I honor the the God that you serve. Christians in Nepal have a different greeting, which I love. They say this, they say, Jemisei. James means, I honor, I recognize Jesus who you serve. I honor, I recognize Jesus who I see in you. And they can get in trouble for this, but it's like, we have this incredible miracle that happens as Christians that we can go anywhere and meet a stranger and yet recognize Christ in them. Does ever happened to you even if I, if I walk down the street and I catch somebody's eyes and, and, and I look at them and something in my spirit moves and, and I can see that they're a follower of Jesus even without knowing that person. It's this wonderful miracle that we happen that not only is our faith personal and individual, we are part of a global and cosmic faith that Jesus Christ is in us, the Messiah can be recognized in any place at any time. So I said the last time I come here, I love coming to new places and especially new churches we're meant to recognize each other easily in church, aren't we? That Christ is in us, but we do. And so I love coming to this place. I can be 4,000 miles away from home, but yet feel right at home because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. This beautiful thing that happens as being part of this Messiah clan, that he's not just Messiah in Orinogo, uh, that actually in Belfast, in Kathmandu, in Sydney. He is the Messiah. And we have this wonderful, beautiful thing that happens that we can recognize Christ in each other. Jesus being the Messiah and the fulfilment of God plan for mankind is just as true and central in the faith in Belfast as it is in Orinogo, as it is in Kathmandu, as it is in Sydney. It's fascinating to think that while the first part of the conversation Who do people say that I am? Who who do they say out there? What are they saying about me? What do they say? And who do they say that I am, Jesus asked them. It's it's good to recognize that that actually does have a variety of answers depending on the place, the time, the location. People say lots of different things about Jesus depending on their culture and context. That answer has a variety of answers for different people. But the second part of the conversation (laughs) does not have a variety of answers or should not have a variety of answers. But who do you say that I am? That only has one answer, no matter what place and what time you may be in. Who do you say that I am? Do you claim him as being the Messiah? The one and true Son of the living God? here is the thing about Peter that I want us to grasp, and it's the same for us today. As we read this passage, I said it took Peter two and a half years. So this is six months. Scholars reckon this is six months before Jesus was crucified, this conversation. But Peter has been with him for two and a half years. It took two and a half years, even though he was the best friend of Jesus, it took Peter two and a half years to come to this moment where he worked it out in his head and his heart that Jesus, you are the one, you are the Messiah, it's taken him two and a half years to work this out. Do you know my first encounter with Jesus? I was 13 or 14. And I had an incredible encounter of him by the Holy Spirit that brought me on my knees in tears. And I had those same experiences for years after. I did not become a Christian until I was 23. It takes a long time for people sometimes to be around Christians and church and followers of Jesus before they join up all the dots. Yeah? Same for Peter, even though he had these incredible miraculous encounters. You can have incredible encounters of Jesus, but still not claim him as the one. So here we have Peter, two and a half years, he's finally making this claim. You are the one. I get it now, Jesus. You are the Messiah. But as we can see, two and a half minutes later, he's starting to claim Jesus as his one. Not the global cosmic Messiah, Peter's Messiah. And we all do this. We all have this danger. Let's read quickly again verses 21 to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, Peter's just confessed he's the Messiah, and he starts to explain he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, that he is going to be killed and on the third day be raised to life it's probably taken more than two and a half minutes for Jesus to have that conversation, but he has that conversation. And then right away, we have this, uh, we have this picture of Peter taking him to the side and saying, never, Lord, that will never happen to you. So I want us to picture the scene. There's the disciples and Peter. And, and Peter's feeling, you know, his chest is pretty pumped up at the minute. He he thinks he is the boy because Jesus has just championed him. You know, if if there was a Jesus exam, Peter's got an A. Okay. Yes, you are the Messiah. He's actually got an A plus because Jesus then gives him more credit. He says, Peter, this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. My heavenly father has revealed this to you. So he's like, A plus, I have nailed it. Okay? Boom, I am the man. He thinks he thinks he has got it sorted. And all his disciples are like oh, I wish I had said that, not Jeremiah. You know, why did, you know, and, and so a couple of chapters later you'll come to, they start, comp- well, they're already comparing now because in a couple of chapters later, they're going like, who's going to sit at the left and right? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? They're already starting to compare. Peter's, Peter thinks he's, he's front and center. He's the chief of staff, right? He's nailed it. And he's pretty happy with himself. And then you can picture them all in a little huddle and then and Peter's like, you know, like the, the A student calls the professor, this is how you should teach the class come here, Jesus, and, and he sort of brings him to the side, or if you're a parent, and you know you're with other friends and their kids, and your kid's the one that's misbehaving, and you, you bring him out of the group so that you can eyeball him, you know, you get down low, and you, you want to make a point. This is what Peter's doing. He takes Jesus away from disciples. I picture myself as one of the other disciples watching this, okay, and, and he sort of, you can't look. He's like, what's What's he doing? don't do this, Peter. You know, and they're sort of all, but they're sort of egging him on that, I hope he messes up here big time. He thinks he, So they're all watching, and then he does it. This is what he does. And you can sort of picture the disciples, oh no, nudging each other, he's going to, he's going to do it. He starts to wag the finger at Jesus. He's like, Jesus, this will never happen to you. And, he actually, and they're like, he's wagging their finger at Jesus. And they're all like, yes, we're, we're the a stars star, now, or whatever it is. But they, they can't believe he's doing it. He's wagging his finger at Jesus and telling Jesus, no, this is the way it should be. You're my Jesus. This is not the way you do things. We have all done this we wag our finger and look Jesus in the eyes and say, you gotta get on board with my agenda, Jesus. We maybe don't wag the finger, we maybe dress it up sweeter than that, right? Maybe more graceful in our approach to him. But Jesus, you gotta get on track with what I'm doing here. You know, Jesus, don't you see all these sacrifices I'm making for you, Jesus you not know, see the work that I'm doing for you, Jesus? You know, you need to accept these plans that I have for us, Jesus. This is the way it should be, Jesus. We all do this. And I think it's one of the greatest dangers we can all have in following Jesus. And it's why Jesus gets so angry with Peter. It's a twisting of our faith. We make Jesus into the person we want him to be for us. We don't really do the wrestling with Jesus for ourselves. So the result of living out our faith in this way is that we all become so arrogant and self-righteous that our faith and the way we follow Jesus is the best way. We know how to do this. My Jesus is better than your Jesus. Uh, You know, whether it's in our tradition or in our education or in our influences of church culture, in our interpretation of Scripture, we can think that we know Jesus the best. You know, we're not the only Christians, but Christians only. Christ Church Oronogo, we do okay here, don't we? In fact, no, we don't do okay. We do it better than... See the way that they use liturgy and stuff those other ones and see the way they worship. You know, the way we do things, we've got it nailed here. We don't say it, but, but actually what, uh, and that's not what Peter was saying, but, but Jesus spotted something in Peter that he was like, no, don't go there. Jesus is not a Protestant. Jesus is not an evangelical American. Jesus is not a Catholic. Jesus is not conservative. He's not liberal. He's not charismatic. He's not Republican. He's not Democratic. He's not unionist or nationalist in Northern Ireland. He's not any other man-made label we try to make stick on him. We cannot tether God to our limited theology. Jesus, forgive us for making you into an idol in our own image and in an idol of our own culture. Forgive us, Lord. You're much bigger than that, Jesus. You're much more than that, Jesus. Forgive us that I've made you into something that looks like me. So we dress God in the clothes according to our zip code and we think that he is like us when we do this. He says to us, get behind me, Satan. He says to you, get behind me, Satan. And this is what Peter was doing. Peter had a view of the Messiah as this superhero king in the makings of David who was going to come and ride a white horse and trample on the Roman Empire and anybody else who got in Jesus' way. And I remember the first time reading this story, even when I wasn't a Christian, reading this story and thinking, Jesus, you're, you're a little bit harsh on Peter here. He, he's, just, he's, he's just trying to protect you. He loves you. He's just trying to, he doesn't want to see you being hurt, but yet you're so harsh on him. Why are you so angry? You know, for, for the Son of God to say you resemble Satan, that's a pretty big slap in the face, okay? There couldn't really be a bigger insult here. You can sense Jesus' concern and rage that, no, Peter, You've just said this, but get behind me, Satan. It's a slap in the face and a half. The other disciples are probably like going, hmm, come down a peg or two, Peter. But why the extreme reaction from Jesus? Well, because Jesus has seen this trick far too often from the enemy. The devil or Satan is alive and real and he has two tactics that are his main weapons. There's two things that he exists to do is to lie. He is the father of all lies and his second tactic is to destroy. Death is his full house. He does everything to claim death over us and he does that through his lies. And why he lies so much is this, so that me and you mistrust the modus of God. His lies are always so that you and me mistrust the good motives of God. So here we have Peter already adding on his own concerns for Jesus, but it's the enemy's tactic to, for Peter to mistrust the good motives of God, and Peter, and Jesus is like, "No, The enemy will not have that in your life. You're already, even though you've made this incredible confession, you're already mistrusting God's good motives. And we've seen this from the start of time with Adam and Eve from the garden. Jesus, you know, God didn't really say you couldn't have that apple. It won't really kill you. You'll just be like him. He didn't, you know, it's not really the best for you. You're already mistrusting God's motives. Jesus isn't only the way. He's maybe just a way to God. Jesus says, you can do greater things in my name. He didn't really say that. That that was just for the the first disciples in Acts. It isn't really for you today. You can't really do those things that Jesus did. Already you're mistrusting the motives of God. You're putting your own concern. We can't really do that, can we? And Jesus is, is so adamant that no, the enemy is already trying to miss, for you to mistrust God's motives here. And he nails Peter with it. You see, just like Peter, you and me like to be advisors to Jesus rather than ambassadors for Jesus. You and me love to advise Jesus. We put our own conditions and our own things on what we think he can do and say, you've got to get on track, Jesus. Jesus. The motives of God are always good, yet we so often put our own concerns in on top of them, and so often God's good motives get twisted and corrupted. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. There are many people today who have been around Jesus and the things of Jesus and still don't know who he really is. There are people in church today who have heard the call of Jesus, but as you reflect and think about how you follow Jesus, you put a number of conditions or concerns into the relationship. Some people in church today have made Jesus into an American evangelical where I come from, we've made Jesus into a Protestant or a Catholic, and he follows God this way, and this is who he is. We all do this, and it's very dangerous. It's a twisting of our faith, and it's a twisting of Jesus's character. People in society always want to tell us what they think about Jesus, don't they? or they want to know what we think about certain things in society, so, that, so if they don't follow Jesus, they'll want to know, well, what's your views on homosexuality? What's your views on abortion? What's your views on life after death? What do you say about this? Do you know what I find with those questions? See, if someone has had an encounter with Jesus Christ and it's transformed their lives, uh, those questions change very quickly because they don't start asking questions about what they say about these things. They say, what's happened in your life? I see transformation. They maybe not use that language, but something's happened in your life. You have changed. What's happened? I don't care what they say about Jesus and all the stuff. What do you say? What's happened in your life? And then you get to talk about this Jesus that you've encountered who is real and alive who isn't strapped down with our cultural conditions and our manufactured hope that we put on to him. When we recognize Jesus for who he is, it changes who we are. Whenever people recognize Jesus in us, it changes the questions they ask. Don't rely on what they say. Make up your own mind. Who do you say that I am? who do you say that I am? What have I done in your life? How can you talk about me to others that is not the cliche answer, but how have I transformed your life? How am I doing that today? Not just 10 years ago when you gave your life to me. When people look at you, what are the questions they ask about me? In our Christian tradition, this passage is known as, as Peter's great confession, the great confession. And this morning, what I'd love us to do, uh, to finish today, is I want us each to have a great confession, another great confession moment with Jesus, uh, because he teased it up and we've been going through the Gospels, and I said, we want Jesus to capture our hearts afresh this morning, and the invitation is there. And what I'd love us to do is, if you're able, and if you can, I I would love us to kneel. You don't have to if you can't. It's a posture of of just uh, uh, humbling ourselves before God and raising him to the elevation where he should be. If you can't kneel, it is totally okay. What I want you to do in your your head and heart is, is posture yourself as if you're kneeling before him. And why we're doing that is that first encounter with with Peter and Jesus, where, where he fell on his knees and said, get away from me, God. We want to fall on our knees and say, come close to me, God, afresh again this morning, because I know who you are. I know what you've done in my life, and you want me to, Jesus. So let's kneel now, or sit where we are with that posture in mind, and let's prayer best prayers to Jesus some of us might need to confess that we've turned them into an image of ourselves or an image of our culture and we've reduced who he really is to something that pleases us and we need to say sorry for that come to him because you long for him to meet you afresh come to him because you know he wants and longs for you to meet with him because he's done all that is required, say to Jesus this morning who he is for you and who you would love him to be for you. So just in your heart, pray your best prayers to Jesus. Thank him. Bless him. Honor him.